1: I'm Hugo Monnier and this is the Rugby Tonight podcast. On this special festive show, Harlequin's flanker, Luke Wallace joined us in the studio to look back at another weekend of European rugby and dissect the George North saga as it's reached a conclusion. Here's the best of our Rugby Tonight insights and analysis from David Flatman, Ben Kate, Sarah Elgate and our studio guest.
2: Wallace. Well, Welcome to rugby tonight.
3: Thank you very much. First time on? Yes. Good nice to, be to see here. you
2: getting into the Christmas spirit. And yeah,
3: we, we did quite well. Yeah. I'm not so sure about Ugo. I What's, know, that's, what that's have the best exper-
2: well, I look like a Christmas ball, Could have ball. Made an That's effort. what I've done. Look <laughs> <laughs> at me. I'm showing all over the place. That's an interesting shirt, Hugo. In Come a good way. Coming
1: from you, I'm not having it. <laughs>
2: he he <laughs> wants <laughs> to go
1: on strictly. Do
4: you,
3: you want to go on strictly? Don't he you? does
2: actually want to go yes, on, strictly, so don't you? are all over that. So, Luke, good win at the weekend, high school. Yeah,
3: obviously. We've had two easy-ish weeks against um, Tim Rousseau. Tim Sour, yes. yeah. You really respect I'm him. I really... <laughs> no, 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 no. Hey, sorry. sorry. We rocked up so and we sorry. did a job. J- 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 <laughs> no, obviously, Gloucester... Um, on the 27th massive game and be a step up from there and we have to make sure our performance matches it.
2: Yeah, we'll talk about that big game nine now. Um, Northgate, you all know what I'm talking about of course. A couple of weeks ago at Welford Road, uh, George North got hit and he fell and he looked like he banged his head on the floor. Let's have a look at it. Um, and there was speculation as to whether he was or, or not concussed and there was an investigation into that um, by the CMRG. Now the CMRG mm-hmm. released their findings today um, so let's have a look at what they had to say, so the CMRG's view is that there was sufficient evidence to conclude not only from the video evidence but also George North's history that he should not have returned to the field of play. Northampton State's medical team has accepted that North may have lost consciousness and therefore should not have returned to play. The CMRG does not consider that the medical team or the club failed to complete the HIA protocol nor intentionally ignored the player's best interests. For the above reason, the CMRG will not be imposing any sanctions against the club or any of its individual as a result of the incident. Instead, the group has made nine clear recommendations in its report. Uh, Betty, let's have a look at those recommendations. And, and you take us through the, the, the more significant ones. <clears throat> well, I think ones.
5: The, the wider ones are just to do with logistics and making sure you've got decent enough internet connection so that those um, pictures can be passed to the doctor down in, into the uh, medical room. Probably the key ones are in the middle. And uh, the first one that I want to look at is number four, because one of the arguments made by Northampton, I believe, was that in clipping up the, the incident and then talking to the doctor, actually, while everyone else was watching the replays in the stadium, the PVR, the guy who's, who's looking at that, um, wasn't able to see, see those same replays. So having a support guy there with him who can nudge him and say, you need to see this, would be important. And then for the doctors as well, making sure that um, they go through a, a set procedure. So what it's saying in there is seeing the footage before you do the HIA, because obviously the danger could be that if you do the HIA, and George Ford saying, I'm fine, I wasn't out. George North saying, I'm fine, I wasn't out. That might prejudice what you see in the footage. And then finally, making sure that that message gets passed to every single medical team in the, um, in the premiership. So they, go, they have a meeting uh, quite regularly. Next one's in February. They're going to send in the software guys to retrain all the medical teams and make sure that we can make this process as accurate as possible. There are always going to be times when things get wrong. And for me, the key is learning from those times and making it better.
0: OK.
2: Flats, what do you make of the findings? I know there's been a a lot of stuff on social media, people not agreeing with what's been said, that it's not harsh enough. Others think it's completely fair what's been found. I think
4: that we, we have to remember that whatever we think we know, we don't necessarily know it. So I think presenting opinion, strong, even educated opinion as fact, is a dangerous game because it skews... The reality of it all. The, the commission or the, the, the review group have found that Northampton weren't lying, whether that's the medics, the coaches, the player, whomever, weren't lying. So if, I think if someone is caught to be lying, we might think they were or they weren't, they were found not to have, not to have lied. If someone's lying in a situation like this when athletes' brains are at stake, hammer them, absolutely hammer them. But if they're not, if they're just making mistakes, I think we have to be very, very careful of aggressively punishing mistakes because... Not just the social media mob, the general public is worried about the players and they're calling for it. I think when mistakes are made, if you punish them too hard, what, if you look about where, look, think about where we want to get to, we want to get to the place where there's the best process possible for looking after the players' brains. Because we're dealing with human beings, the players, the medics, everyone, everyone a lot of pressure, there are going to, as Benny said, there are going to be mistakes. It's our attitude to those mistakes. If we punish them, how many people are going to put their hand up and say, hey guys, we made a mistake last weekend that you didn't know about, but we did. Let's, get, let's be completely open and transparent and make the process better. It's attitudes to failure, punish human, human error every it's the time. Right decision
2: well, for the game? Just,
5: just on that general. as well, I, I agree with Flats. And, and the other thing is, <coughs> why do we want sanctions against Northampton? Is it because we genuinely think it's going to make the process better? Or is it because we're so used in rugby to having this <laughs> disciplinary world where people have to serve an amount of time? We're seeing it with the players serving more and more time. Or is it because we want some sort of justice or punishment? But the sole goal of this committee or this uh, group, is to improve the process and make sure that it never happens again. So it's nothing to do with, should we, should we punish Northampton? Should, should they have justice? That doesn't come into it. It's solely about, would it be any better for future players if Northampton were punished? And I don't think it would.
2: Hugo, what's your take on it?
1: I, I slightly disagree with the guys, to be perfectly honest. Um, I guess the first thing, the most important thing is that Georgia North is fine and he, from what we're hearing, he's going to play on Friday night. I think that's the most important thing, and that's, that's absolutely brilliant news. Beyond that, there's clearly a dislocation between the RPA Premiership Rugby and World Rugby, because if you look at what World Rugby are doing at the moment, any, any contact with the head, and in terms of their sanctions seem to be increasing, whether that be accidental, no mitigating circumstance or not, that's a straight red, and people are serving bans. We just heard just the other day from the incidents in the Bath game, eight weeks for an accident. That's what it is. In this occasion, it's a supposed accident. Well, let's face it. Premiership rugby have put together this system to, for the welfare and the benefit of the players, and it's failed. For the majority of the time, I'm sure it's absolutely fine, but it's failed, considering how much they talk about it's their top priority, player welfare, concussion. It's got to be top of the agenda. This system's not quite good enough. The other point to it is that suspicion of <clears throat> lack of consciousness. Well, I think it's fairly obvious that George may have suffered that loss of consciousness for just a small period. How he was then able to complete the HIA protocol sufficiently enough for Mm. the doctor to believe that he was fine, I'd be asking a huge amount of questions because that should never happen. He should never have been put back onto the pitch Whose fault, for me, that lays at Premiership Rugby, in terms of the sanctioning and stuff, it's not a case of a witch hunt and someone's got to be struck off or this and that. No-one's saying that. I don't want anyone to necessarily get in trouble. My focus is on players. But for Premiership Rugby to actually do something about it, to back up all their words in terms of we're there for the players, we're here to protect our game and our players, and that's paramount, and do nothing, I just think sends out a pretty pathetic message. Okay,
2: well, let's, let's speak to a current player, then, H- HIA have you had one many many okay yeah. so, so what does it entail
3: um so at the beginning of the season when we come back for pre-season we'll do a whole load of baseline tests which record reactions balance memory um and then when we get concussed we take get taken off the pitch and we have to redo these tests and um yeah the results get matched up okay. and
2: and you as players completely, like, sat, do you, you guys feel safe? Because, like, you were saying, that is the most important thing, isn't it? By the protocols and...
3: I think the tricky thing with the concussion is there's so many different symptoms that I think I could quite easily be concussed in some, some instances and pass the test. I think, and then it comes back to the players, for instance, against Newcastle. I, I pulled myself off the pitch in the last five minutes because I got hit on the head and I couldn't see properly. OK, so that was but your decision. That was my would, decision. Would you have done that about three
5: years ago, when it wasn't such a big deal? Or, or has that education piece... No, I
3: think that education's definitely helped. But at the same time, it was up in Newcastle, for the last five minutes, we'd already lost a game. And it was... Um... Well, this is it, it's the context yeah. of it. Yeah. If
1: you're out there to win yeah. the game and you're playing a pivotal role, you may not. I guess to try and humanise it, and we're talking about recommendations and everything else, and, Sara, you've got kids. And, you know, Fr- Freddie, who's a young boy, if he went out to play rugby on Sunday, took a knock to the head, and you knew he'd lost consciousness and was put back on the pitch, yeah. how would you feel as a parent? I wouldn't be very happy. You wouldn't be happy and you'd want something to be done about it. Okay, I, that's I'll all last, we're saying. No. I'll
4: ask you on that, so what you want is, I've got kids too, and I want the process by the time they start playing rugby to be as robust and as complete as possible. <clears> so <throat> Northampton get hammered for this and get fined 10 premiership points and they're in, they're in trouble, okay? Two weeks from now, Quinn's make a mistake. No one notices, it's not on telly, but they make a mistake and they think, we've done that before, no-one knows, actually, are we going to put our hands up and say, guys, there's a bit of a fault with the system. There will always be faults with systems because you're dealing with human beings and every brain is different and reactions are different and all that stuff. Will Quinns put their hand up and say, actually, we can, help work, we can help improve the system long-term by telling you what's gone wrong? No, they're not, because they're going to get fine points. So you hammer it, teams won't put their hands up, the process will not improve to the point
1: or at the rate at which it could if, actually, if, if, if the attitude of failure is adjusted. We're not talking about, I mean, you're absolutely right. We're all humans, we all make mistakes. And like I said, it's not a witch hunt for someone to get fired or get sacked or whatever it is. We're talking about heads. We're talking about heads and I get brain that. injuries. No, with... And <laughs> what's,
5: what's the difference? So all we want to do is make it better. So I can't see how sanctioning Northampton would make though. any other club. makes a statement that no, they have we'll, so we,
2: we could go on, and we'll try and pick it up later, but what also we want, I guess, is for these recommendations to make a difference. Uh, yes, yes or no from all of you, will they make a difference?
5: They will, as part, yeah, as part of it's been getting better and better. And we should point out... Premiership rugby is the only league in the world, I believe in any sport, that, that has this system okay. in place. Well, that's a good... So, it is, from two years ago, it is significantly better. I think in two years' time, ten years' time, it will be even better.
2: We can spend hours, couldn't we, talking about this. Um, but we've got to move on. And let's start by looking at the weekend's round four Champions Cup matches. And it was a weekend of return fixtures, I guess. In pool two, Wasps travelled to the sports ground, where their game against Connacht ended in dramatic scenes. Toulouse hosted Zebra. And in pool one, Glasgow Warriors were looking to back up that brilliant, brilliant away win against Racing 92 with another one at Scottsdale. And Richard Cockrell's Tigers, of course, needed to restore some pride after humiliating outing against Munster last week. OK, let's have a look then at uh, the Poole 1 table, as it stands at the moment. Um, Glasgow top uh, with that fantastic win over Racing 92 and Munster lost, of course, to Leicester at Welford Road. Um, but, of course, Munster and Racing both have got games in hand. Although Racing after three games, no points, I think we can safely say, out to Europe last season's finalists Um, Ben we'll start with you and that has to be it was even better really than last week's win wasn't it It has to be Glasgow's most significant win in Europe they they were phenomenal they're on a
5: roll and they're playing fantastic rugby they are probably the form team out of all the groups Uh, it's a particularly tough group that they found themselves in I think beforehand people probably would have said they might struggle to come out there to the last two uh, semi-finalists from last year in the group and Munster resurgent Munster I think for me, it's an indication of how much of a high Scottish rugby is starting to get on off the back of it, because you tweeted, didn't you, that potentially we could have five Lions in that team. Who? You know,
4: yeah, well, more. I mean, I was with Mike Blair at the weekend at Welford Road, and he made a joke. He said, I'll oh, only take Hoggy on the Lions tour as the token Scot. You know, and <laughs> he was joking, and I hope he was joking, and I hope there's none of this Scottish thing to overcome in selection, because I think there are some truly brilliant players in that Glasgow team. Um, you look at Johnny Gray in the second row; he's uh, just the uh, just the engine on him, but the quality of work, the quality of work and he's getting through in every stats game, it's kind of is it's right? kind of it's almost ridiculous. And you sort of think he's that good. Everyone talks about Maro Itoje. I want to see Maro Itoje playing six as soon as possible because they might have to stick him at six to get this guy in the Lions team <coughs> okay. alongside Alan
5: Wynn. He's got and, power. And Launchbury as well. Launchbury yeah. very similar to yeah. this guy as well. Yeah, their work rate huge. They do get go forward. They're good offloaders. This guy is absolutely superb so I think Launchbury at the moment if I was picking I'd do exactly what Flats said I'd have uh, Itoji at six, uh, Alan Wynn and Johnny Gray and then I'd have Launchbury coming off the bench it's a pretty formidable unit. And
4: then the look back
2: at, three as well isn't and the there?
5: Back, no, Hog,
4: Hog is just class he's, he's walking onto the line strip if he's fit. Finn Russell I think there's a lot of competition at ten but, but he's, there's a good chance he's a wonderful player but Hogg does, Hog does so much right for me I, I don't see how anyone else if current form is maintained, and fitness is maintained, I don't see how anyone else starts for the Lions.
1: Absolutely. I think if you go to New Zealand, the one thing you've got to have is your best attacking players on the pitch. Balanced, of course, with Stuart Hogg, you've got one of the best game-breakers, his awareness, not just in terms of what he does for him, but how he brings the rest of the back line into
3: it's play. It's just
2: great to see them play, because they play very much like the Quins of old, don't they? You know, when, they, when you guys lifted the Premiership title. Yeah,
3: you know, they're always looking to attack. They always look like they're having fun on the pitch, which is so key. I think with that, that Lions team, obviously said there could be five players in the mix, but yeah. they've got to then have the commitment to play that way when they do... To yep. move on, on to higher honours? High Absolutely honest. right.
4: And I, you look throughout the team, guys like Bennett, wonderful player. Seymour on the wing, brilliant player. Fagerson on the tight head, he's 20 years old, but he is already, for me, a top of the range tight head. He's very, very talented. And at hooker, they've got Fraser Brown. I think he's a former back rower. And every time I see Fraser Brown play, I don't, I don't want to be too aggressive, but I, I can only <laughs> imagine that Ross Ford is an incredible human being and leader. Yeah. That's sort of a John Smith situation. That's why he's in the Scotland team, because this guy, Fraser Brown for me is a level above as a as a pure rugby player. His lineouts aren't perfect, but they're good. Look at the, he's highlighted, just look at that strength. Okay, he's got a good angle on the fellow, but he's a strong old unit. He runs good lines, he's got really good hands, he's aggressive, I and mean, you could argue that's pretty poor defence, and you'd be right if you argued that. But I think for me he should be starting for Scotland, and this guy is banging contention. For a trip on the lines to even though he's not first choice for his country, really, really impressive player.
2: Okay, and it was a good win for Leicester. They really needed um, to bounce back, they needed a reaction, and I guess that they got that. But we're going to move on to Pool Two now. Let's have a look at how uh, Pool Two looks at the moment. Um, Look, it couldn't be much tighter, could it? Wasps, To-Dos and Connor all on 13 points. And we saw just then, of course, there was a bit of drama after the 80-minute mark um, uh, in the Connor to wasps game. And this is a statement that's been released by Wasps this week. Let's have a look at that. We all understand referees are only human and mistakes do occasionally happen, however for a referee and fourth official to get the laws of the game wrong at a crucial stage of a big match is hugely disappointing. The error made could have serious repercussions, it could of course, in terms of WASP's qualification hopes or the prospect of securing a home quarter-final. The EPCR have uh, stated that the result stands, uh, which you would expect, uh, and we congratulate Connor after a hard-fought contest and we will now move on to the final rounds and the referee, matchday referee, has answered. Uh, because this new rule already exists in several competitions and I did not know it, um, it was in Eastern Europe or not, um, so I gave touch, I contacted several officials after the match who also had doubts, so it's a mistake on my part, it hurts my head, but heart, sorry not head, it probably hurts his head as well, uh, but I take it upon myself and I'm sorry for the wasps and their supporters. Um, so that you know, he admits his mistake, um, what's your take on it?
1: It's a bad mistake to make at a bad a time, with, let's face it. I mean, of course, huge repercussions. Wasp have been going very well, but I mean, the one thing which has been highlighted at the weekend and uh, Lawrence spoke about is the captaincy. Just how he put the referee under pressure, someone who pretty much came onto the pitch stone cold and took advantage. of fair play to Connell. Yeah.
2: Okay, so let's have a look at uh, how pools three, four, and five look then at uh, the end of the weekend and Saracen's. Still unbeaten in the tournament. Top pool three, uh, Toulon after losing uh, to Padka Scarlet. are so in second with 10 points And the Scarlet, I guess. Are they kind of still in it-ish, maybe? Um, let's have a look at pool four then. And uh, Leinster flying high in pool four, 16 points. Montpellier um, on 11, and Northampton down there at the bottom with uh, with some big problems there. And then Claremont, top for all 5 with 17 points. And uh, Bordeaux losing at right. home to Exeter, that's really cost them. you got issues with the way I say Bordeaux? Bordeaux! Well, like, I don't <laughs> wait, see wait, how say I'm what? saying it wrong, Bordeaux! They're
1: laughing, say it again! Whoa,
2: now, whoa, now! How oh, do you... Not, how, you, how, do you yeah. <laughs> how do you lot say Bordeaux?
1: Yeah.
5: That's yeah. it, That's oh, the you, Yeah, but oh, English. you English. talking about English. Oh, I've got you now. <laughs> oh. <sighs>
2: OK, we'll be looking at the red cards then, and many of the key incidents involving contests with players' heads, particularly in the tackle area next week, when Saracen's coach Alex Anderson will be joining us as we explain the new tackle laws and how they will affect how the game will be played, I guess, and coached from the 3rd of January. Uh, but, Ugo, I know that you feel quite strongly about a couple of the red cards that were given this weekend. Which ones particularly?
1: Well, there were six red cards over the weekend, a couple of poor examples and some quite soft ones. But this one, um, which happened at Exeter, Bordeaux game. <laughs> uh, Bordeaux game. I mean, this is a stone wall as a red card, as, you, as you'll see. It is reckless. Olly Woodburn could have landed in his head and neck, and thankfully, he actually managed to play the rest of the game. So that's a good example of where the law's been enforced. However, in the Castremont-Pellier game, I mean, if this was where the game's going, that's a red card. He got red carded for that. Unfortunately for the referees, it is difficult because if he goes down to the TMO and says there's any contact to the head with that legislation, <laughs> it's a straight red card. For me, it's just frustrating that I, I think they, what they're trying to do is protect the players and I completely get them play well for we spoke about that earlier. But equally, six red cards at the weekend, I just think they're now evangelising and displaying the game to be far more dangerous than what it is. Because if that's a red card, anything pretty much could be. Ben, what do you reckon?
5: Well, I agree. Um, the problem World Rugby have is, I think, I think in the NRL this week, there's been a, a, a suing case of a, a player that was paralysed, quite rightly so, trying to sort of get the money together for, it, for his lifestyle. Um, and they, they've obviously seen what's happened in the NFL. They want to make sure that the head injury thing doesn't uh, come back to haunt them in years to come. They want to make sure they're doing everything right the problem that I have is in trying to grow the game the probably one of the biggest barriers to growing <clears throat> rugby is the complexity of the laws now if you add into that the fact that people can't understand why someone's been sent off and the team they've just started supporting is down to 14 men it's affecting games and it's seemed deemed to be a lottery because Half the time, world rugby are saying, Yeah, you're fine flying into a ruck quite low down and clearing out. But if you accidentally happen to catch someone, that could be a penalty that costs your team three points and loses them the game. If it's deemed that you should have known better when it's all moving so fast, you could be yellow carded or red carded. People will struggle with that because what they, in, in trying to make it more consistent, they've actually taken out any human involvement by the referee to be able to say, well, I know that he wasn't trying to hurt someone there. I know that it's just a way... Now they're saying from January 3rd, if someone falls in front of you and you happen to catch their head, it's a more automatic penalty, whether you had any chance of changing your mind, pulling out of it, doing anything different, which to me seems ridiculous.
2: Um, what, are, what are you as players at Quinn's thinking about? It? Are these tackle laws kind of changing maybe the way you guys kind of think about the game or look about it, or you've been coached?
3: Not, not personally because I don't like to use my shoulders and tackles anyway. <laughs> right, <know>. answer. <laughs> right answer. Right <laughs> answer. But <laughs> um, is it confusing? No, it is, and I think it's, it's especially confusing at the ruck. I think because if someone's over the ball in a strong position, it's exceptionally hard to move them yeah. without hitting them really, really hard yourself. Mm. Um, so that's hard, and especially the back of the neck is the position that's easiest to hit in that instance as well. Um, So that's hard, but the tackle, I think it's the right thing because you know, I stick my head a lot of stupid places in in rucks (laughs) and I don't want it to be hurt unnecessarily with a high shot. So I, I do agree with them being strict on that. See, so the,
1: the thing for me is that with the directives and I completely understand them wanting to protect the players, but I think it's something which needs to come out at the start of pre-season rather than middle of the season. I
2: say, do they need to be coached in the correct so, way? I think so, because
1: it comes out on Monday and they want players to change their behaviours by Saturday. And if you haven't, you're going to get yeah. fined. You yeah. do it in the summer and you give coaches and players a few months to be able to adapt to, to what's ever necessary.
2: OK, more on this next week. Benny, what's happening in the challenge
5: cup well i might not be the most expert person to talk about it i think the journalists might be better than me might. so we're going to go and have a word with them but we're talking about some red cards there there were some cards also in the challenge cup first before we get on to those more controversial moments we've got as we said before nick verdier here from the rugby paper we've got lee calvert from blood and and jack austin from the independent uh, guys the Challenge Cup, when it was launched, uh, along with the Champions Cup, EPCR were saying this is an opportunity to grow the game in different territories. Um, it, it, it's a standalone tournament that they're trying to promote. Is it working at the moment? Do you think think it's been a success?
6: Do you want a light not...
5: answer? No, I want you to be honest. <laughs>
6: I'll let Nick say I'm not too sure. From a French point of view, um, I don't think the clubs are priori- prioritising it too much. Um, over the top 14, they've got far bigger fish to fry it. Um, Grenoble conceded 130 points, I think, against the Ospreys. Yeah. They're bottom of the top 14. Their priority is not to get relegated, right. not to win the Challenge Cup. Um, I'm not sure about the French. La Rochelle are doing well. They're doing well in the top 14 as well, so they're not too worried. They can play on both sides for
5: in, t- in terms of growing the game into other markets, we've seen a couple of decent performances in some of the non-rugby-playing countries. Do you think that's been a success?
3: I mean, you see, you've seen a couple of bad performances as well from, yeah. the, from the smaller nations. Um, yeah, it is great in the game. You, look, you've got the Romanian teams in there now, but are they impressing? Are they almost worthy of a place there? Um, all right,
5: well, uh, with all that positivity, <laughs> let, let's move on to what's actually been happening. If, Nick, if you take uh, Paul 1 first, La Rochelle against Gloucester. T- tell us th- what's been going on there.
6: Well, all to play for in this one. As I said, La Rochelle are doing pretty well. Six-try win against Gloucester. They're top of the pool because of the aggregate over Gloucester at King's Zone. Massive games for both teams in uh, round five. Um, La Rochelle are go- going to Bayonne and Gloucester going to Treviso. That's going to be huge. They're going to have to get maximum points potentially to top that pool. So, very interesting.
5: So, there we go. And if we move on to you, Lee, you're going to take pool four and the, the, probably the highlight fixture there was Bath against Cardiff.
1: Bath against Cardiff was a... Uh, unexpected defeat for Bath last week, so looking to kind of um, turn the tables on that. They got some of the better players back for argument. And Aled Brew is a supplier's package for everyone, I think, for Bath this year, which just shows that change of club can make something quite interesting. But it was quite a comfortable win for, for Bath in the end, with uh, some quite um, very good tries from. Ross batty there at Hooker. Have you ever seen a Hooker move that quickly? Everybody wants to be Dane Coles now. He's basically inside. gone
5: the length of the field, hasn't he? He actually scored
1: it? a better try, his previous one, I think, because he actually he was at second receiver and cut a lovely angle to score his first try as well. So to still have the energy to do that as well. It's
5: Flat to used it. to do that all the time, front row at Bath. That was it was open, his trademark. Open, open, right. no, it's not it's actually trademark. that difficult when you're out there and you know open pasture <laughs> is your home. It's it's Jack, well, skills. Jack Quinn's leading pool five game against Edinburgh this weekend. how did that one play out?
3: Um they no, they played Timiswa. Uh, oh, sorry, so, sorry. <laughs> sorry, yeah. Mistakes happen, it's fine. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Sanction. <laughs> um, no, they trounced them 75 3. Um, Jamie Roberts picked up a hat trick, um, looking like he's getting s- near his best form. Um, there's also Mike Brown got two, uh, Mile and Yard two as well. Second minute red card, though, just killed the game for. Uh, for the Romanian side.
5: Of course they did. Obviously I'm, I'm fully up on uh, <laughs> on, on, on all the uh, Challenge Cups games uh, as well as the Champions Cups so. are.
2: You've got a fine waiting for you here, Ben. <laughs> <laughs> you guys lining up, you guys lining up. Um, Quinns, you've got such a, a great record in that competition. You came so close last season. Um, how high a priority is Europe for you guys this term?
3: Yes, yeah, obviously we've got three three opportunities to win silverware and it, it's one of those opportunities. So yeah, we're taking it very seriously. And I'm sure further we go through the competition and get towards that final again, the memories of last year will probably come back and drive that an awful lot more.
2: Yeah, I bet. But it's been a great four rounds, hasn't it, so far? We've had all the drama that you expect from top flight European rugby, of course, and let's face it, the success of the Pro 12 sides has really opened up this year's competition. Should we talk about Bristol and Worcester then? Because uh, there's a huge game on Boxing Day, which um, we will... Well, I will be there. Are you guys there for that one? Flats, you're yes, there with me. Yes, I'm there. Yeah, on with Boxing
4: Day. On. With bells on. Christmas joke.
2: <laughs> oh, I'm snorting now. Oh. That's not a joke. Pig. pepper Pig. <laughs> <laughs> OK, let's talk about the, uh, the... How far will... will Or guess what will that match maybe tell us as to who will be... Everything. Yes.
5: Everything. If mm. Bristol lose that game, I think their season's over. I think if they win it, they're back... They're bang back in the fight and now then all the pressure would go on to Worcester because of that fright that actually we've not been playing that well we had better success at the beginning of the season and uh, yeah I think it's all focused on that for, for Bristol I'm not sure how good a Christmas some of those boys are going to have
2: okay well well, well um, I guess we can talk to some of them now because Ali Eakin went down to Bristol in the week and he spoke to Jason Woodward
5: a lot of people have sort of spoken, um, you know, even even already this week that uh, you know next Monday is huge in terms of what our season looks like at the moment. So I think if we start buying into the circus, you know, that's going to come this week, um, you know, we'll just blind ourselves for for the game on Monday. So, you know, for us, the little things each week are getting better and better. Our our attack starting to grow, and um, I think our, our defensive efforts each week are definitely really positive. And you know, I think if we focus on the little things like that, we'll um, we'll
3: come right Monday.
2: Because um, you played them of course, you played them first game of the season Bristol, didn't Yeah, we were... played
3: them in the London Doubleheader. Um,
2: they gave a fright.
3: Yeah, they pushed us very hard. You know, we, we perhaps didn't turn up as well as we'd like to. And I think they were very motivated with it being their first game back in back in the Prem. Um, so yeah, they need to recapture some of that form, I guess. And um, you know they've got the quality players. If they if they do put their best game on the park, they can push Worcester very hard and probably get that result. The yeah, need. they've
2: steadily been improving, haven't they, through Europe and stuff. Just
5: a uh, big weekend uh, ahead of you guys after post Christmas, as it always is for Harlequins. Talk us through big game nine. What's planned?
3: Yeah, uh, so 27th of December, um, playing Gloucester, a re- rematch of last year's big game, which was a thriller. Humphreys score, 36, all the things like that. Um, So, yeah, we're obviously hoping to do a bit better than that this year, make it a bit easier for ourselves. But, um, yeah, great family day out. We've got the extreme sport mountain bikers and BMXers, free runners, I think, down there, which will be, yeah, entertainment for our family. Excellent.
2: Okay, let's uh, continue looking forward, then, to this weekend's Aviva Premiership matches. And on Friday night, sale travel to Franklin's Gardens to face a Northampton side desperate for a win. Nick Mullins has been to speak to Steve Diamond about the game.
7: There's rumours he's lost to the room, I don't believe it, you know, he's not that sort of guy, he's, uh, he's got a team that hasn't functioned in, in three or four games, if they, they pull one or two wins off the, the fifth in the league and push him. You know, Northampton have got to uh, take stock of what a great bloke they've got there and uh, don't push, push the panic button.
2: Um, let's talk sale then, shall we? Um, You've played them this season, lost yeah. to them, what have Saints got to be most mindful of?
3: Probably the set piece, I think, especially at this time of year, conditions as they are, um, the game of rugby revol- re- revolves around the set piece. I think being at Franklin, Franklin's Gardens, that's somewhere that Northampton would probably like to think they could match there on, definitely. Um, and then aside from that, you know, they've got good ball carriers, fast wingers, so their defence can have to be top notch as well.
2: Uh- in terms of team news, Flats, mm. we've heard um, Peter Stringer has got a pretty serious injury, um, an yeah. ACL injury that may be uh, career-ending. We don't well, know yet.
4: Well, I think, I think someone like Peter Stringer, it's, it's inevitable that rugby players get injured. It doesn't mean it's not sad. It is sad. He's had a wonderful career, mm. but he was supposed to retire four years ago, five <laughs> years ago, six years ago, eight years ago. He's like, I don't know, 44 now, and he looks fantastic. Um, I bet you... It's he doesn't not,
2: eat mince pies. I bet
4: you it does not eat mince pies. No. This is not the end of Peter Stringer. Think no. about the game he plays. The game he plays isn't, isn't based around power. And, you know, his speed is important in terms of getting to the breakdown, but he hasn't been making loads of breaks the last few years. It's about core skills. It's like a footballer not losing his touch. And he's got the sort of the sort of game that could come back from an ACL and keep yeah, playing. Yeah. I, I bet you he comes back. I bet you he's still playing, getting paid to play a year from now.
2: OK, well, let's wish him all the best then in his recovery. Um, there are very strong rumours that a certain George Ford may be heading to sell Sharks uh, next season. Let's hear what Steve Diamond had to say on that topic.
7: If there's any interest from him to, to move, we'll get to know about that. But that's the sort of player we're looking at, if I'm perfectly honest, we've... Um, we run a small squad, and we're going to continue to do that. But what we've got to do is pack our small squad with there uh, with quality players. You can actually see him coming off the pitch with no dirt on him at all because he's that good. He orchestrates everything. I think he brings a flair to the to the club, to the side, and which we, which we've not got. Yeah.
2: Um, yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Because he's obviously hasn't got. Um any beef with Todd Blackadder? Mm-hmm. Like, w- why, I think we all know, but why
4: would he well, be considering leaving Bath? Well, it, to, to most of us, it seems nonsensical. Not, it's not an insult to Sale. Not, nothing to do with Sale. It seems odd that he would leave Bath. But, you know, because he's in a great place. He clearly likes the coaches. They like him. But don't forget that whatever the reasons, whether it's correct or not, his dad got sacked by <coughs> the senior management of Bath Rugby, yeah. who are still there. And I know more about Bath than other clubs just because I'm, I live near there, and I know they're good guys. But that isn't the point. The point is they sacked his dad. And I think while it's, you know, it's easier to make talk about it in rugby terms, I think it's pretty difficult to be objective about your own family. I'm not objective about people telling my kids off at school they're always wrong. You know, so I, <laughs> I, I do think it's a very emotional thing. And he has to see his dad and look his dad in the eyes and he may feel his dad was wrong. I know a lot of people don't feel that there. That isn't the point. You can't be objective often about your family. So I, I, I actually, although I... I think it's an odd rugby decision to leave Bath. I kind of understand it emotionally. Well,
2: you touched upon already. Why Sale? Why, why, why Sale? What's the attraction, do you I think? I
4: think Sale will go hard to get a player like that because once they've got him, they can say to other players, look who's here, look who's coming. Yeah. Go, about, go back to 06 when Sale won the Prem and they had some really good core, sort of young talent, they, local talent, like Quates, Mark Kuwaito, Steve Hanley, those sorts of guys, Charlie Hodgson. They were, lo- they were local guys, proper lads, from, you know, sort of around that area. They also had Stardust. They had Seb Chabal, they had Seb Bruno. They had some rock star players sprinkled in. That is where I think Sale, and I'm guessing, but it would seem a decent formula to try and recreate. It, that seems what how, how Sale I want to get back to. And the best way to get a bit of talent in is pay them, and get one big one first. And George is you know, he's the opposite of most rock star players who seem to be towards the end of their careers who go for the big contracts. He's right in the mixer, he's yeah. right in form.
2: Apart from like, what Flats has spoken about, kind of maybe enticing other players to go, what else will he bring to, to sale in terms of the way he plays the game?
3: I think he's just a class player in so many aspects. Um, and as I said earlier, they've got a good set piece, they've got good ball carriers. I think he knows how to move, move them around the park and knows how to bring other people into the game. So I think he'll do a lot to pull that whole team together.
2: Will say they're long then? How does that like? Could he well, go there for like a? He's from know, up, there. He's yeah, from yeah, up yeah. there. Yeah, there
4: um, He's a good enough player that he could play anywhere and still be in the England team, I think, if he's on the right form, especially if Farrell's fit because they were so nicely together at the moment. Um, maybe he's near a family. I don't know if that's consideration or not. I the I just, family home is up
2: there, maybe, way, isn't it? Maybe.
4: And some people say it's a stepping stone. I don't know George very well. Maybe he's that guy. Maybe he's not. Mm. I don't know. I I wouldn't have thought that. I wouldn't have thought. I would have <laughs> thought if he goes there. He's going to stay there, and I think Sale will work hard to keep him there, and that is bringing in other great players for him to bring into games, and also, let's be frank, paying him loads of money, which (laughs) he deserves, because he's the best.
2: Yeah, um, Northampton, Um, it's a huge, huge game for them, and you sense, for for Jim and and the coaches as well, it's a massive, massive fixture for them.
4: Yeah, it it is huge. They got a bit of grief last week for resting a load of boys and not picking their best team against Leinster. For me, it's their squad. They're under a load of pressure. There's people talking about Jim Mallinder getting sacked, He needs to win Friday night, that's got to be his focus. I think it's entirely reasonable that he uses other registered players, professional players of his squad to go and play a game that means, frankly doesn't mean very much to them now. This has become an enormous game. I don't want to drift too lazily into hyperbole, but this has become an enormous game, partly because of the form they're in and the pressure they're under, but also because it's at home. And sale are not going to be easy to beat.
2: No, and how difficult is it? You know, Harlequins have been through that where you've lost a series of games and the pressure, and you almost need to, to get out of it to become better, don't you? But it's hard to.
3: Yeah, definitely. Always challenge these to improve. Um, I think, as Latt said, being at home is a massive thing for them. Um, the crowd there is always pretty partisan. They'll get, they'll get behind them to start with, but if they don't play that well, they'll, they'll get on their backs early and that pressure will just build and build and build.
2: Yeah, it's going to be a big one, that, yeah. for both sides. Um, Ugo and Flats, what are you up to?
1: I'm Flats. Yes, flat, well, absolutely. But then... <laughs> He's actually better than Ugo, not Flats. Flats is with you. But huge game at the weekend. was against Bath. Two of the best attacking sides in the Premiership going to head-to-head. And at the fulcrum of that, Often is the number 10. And I'll tell you what, whichever way Wos want to go, whether it's Cipriani or Gophoff, obviously George Ford being the main man at Bath, we've got a huge amount of talent. World class, actually. The funny thing for me which sticks out is the fact that Gophoff actually runs with the ball more more than Danny Cipriani and George Ford, who are obviously very well known for what they do when they run. But when you look at Wos and their attack plan, they are top of all the stats. Last season, they were brilliant in Europe in the Premiership and they've continued that form. In terms of points conceded as an average, tries and metres made, those guys are always top of the stats. But if we look at where they're getting a lot of their tries from, it's quite obvious to see. And for me, as a Bath coach tonight, this is where I want to see a bit more of an improvement. Bath, in terms of their defensive line not brilliant. They give 92% of possession to, to the opposition. So they get a huge amount of ball to play for. We can see just with this stat here how deadly Was are off when they can win a good line at ball. 30-14 of their 34 tries have come from line at success. That needs to be done a lot better. Charlie Yules, Dave Atwood, get up, put pressure on them, try and stop Was attacking source at source and you may get some joy. The other stat for me, which I, which I really like and shows really good balance and maturity, especially from George Ford, is the fact that Bath kicked the ball more than any other team in the Premiership, tw- just under 29 times a game. But this, on the converse, for Wasp, 25% of their tries have come from kick receipt. So kicking game has got to be absolutely spot on as well as their chase. Because when you've got the likes of the Piatals, uh, uh, sorry, not Pieter, he's now moved on, but Christian Wade at the back there, they, those guys will cut into room. Josh Bassett also on really good form, and Rob Miller, a really good operator. But anyway, moving on and focusing back on what we're really good at, it's defence. Absolutely top of the pops in terms of missed tackles, tackle success and clean breaks conceded. If we focus on this and keep, uh, keep that standard really high, we'll give ourselves a really good chance. So in summary, for me, if Bath are going to win the game at the weekend, set-piece power, man, always is that way. Scrum, line-up, as well as line-up defence. Kicking game, we kick more than anyone else. So when we kick, kick accurately and Chase has got to be there to back it up in defence. It's been top of the pop so far. Continue that and we give ourselves every chance of winning this weekend, Ben. From a wash perspective,
5: let's have a little look at what Bath are really good at. Are they the new Saracens? Two years ago, they were the most attacking team in the Premiership. They've completely changed that now. They're now up there with Saracens as the most pragmatic team. What are they good at? They're really efficient. They don't play with a lot of ball. They let the opposition have the ball. And then when they get their opportunities, particularly in the red zone, they are uber-efficient. Defensively, really strong. They have great line integrity. So from a Watts perspective, we have to do something to change that. We can't just keep bashing into brick walls, particularly around their forwards, who make 75% of their tackles a lot of dominant hits as well. So we have to change this picture. Now, how do we do that? First of all, the temptation from Wasps is always to counterattack. If we kick the ball back to them, they're gonna kick it back to us. So we have to make sure we temper when we go and when it's on to counterattack and not get caught at the back. We don't wanna be caught in the red zone. Equally, if we kick a little bit more, and rather than just picking and going around the corner in where they're strongest, we change that defensive line picture. It's not easy for them. If they're turning to go back, coming back in a a kick chase, then that line integrity is going to disappear. We can utilize some of our great attackers. If we move on to the weaknesses that we can go at, first of all, George Ford, he won't shirk a tackle, but if you look at where they make their dominant hits, George Ford has made two out of 44 of his tackles have been dominant hits. That means he's constantly losing that physical battle. We saw it for England, when teams run big runners at George Ford, he gives four or five meters in the tackle. So we need to make sure that we've got the likes of Ashley Johnson, Nathan Hughes, running at George Ford, not at the big uh, uh, forwards we were talking about. Also, the corners. If they narrow up their defensive line to protect George Ford, there are opportunities around that outside centre channel and we all know that Wasps have the best attack in that channel with the likes of Elliott Daly and the back three that Ugo was talking about. Finally, line outs. This is the area that Ugo was talking about before. Let's have a look at that st- those stats that Ugo was uh, talking about we score the most of our lineouts 14 out of 34 from lineouts they give us 92% of the ball and 62% of the tries scored against bath have been from lineouts so we know we can attack in that outside center channel but in order to create those opportunities we have to go route 1 as well five of our tries has come from driving lineouts we are the best in the business i think at breaking out from the back of a broken down more scoring try opportunities there But I was talking about kicking to the corners, playing more percentages, so we're in the right area of the game. Their line out, Bath's line-out is also the worst in the league, statistically. So, we want to be kicking out to them, putting pressure on the line-out, and there are opportunities to play out the, off that. We are the strongest team in the league in this channel. If Bath give us this sort of opportunity over turned-over line-out ball, we can cut any side in Europe apart, we can cut Bath apart as well, and we can end up scoring tries like that. That is the way we are going to beat Bath at home this week.
1: Thanks for listening to the Rugby Tonight podcast. Have a brilliant Christmas and we'll see you again next week.